This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in, and I hope everyone had a very happy holidays. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter, at Bobby K. Kraft, that's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 58. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I caught up with Sean Iddings, co-author of the book Intelligent Fanatics, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. I previously had Sean on the program to discuss the first book in the Intelligent Fanatics series, and as a fan, I was excited to read and learn more about the next one. As you will hear, Sean discusses the differences between the two, and we take a deeper dive on some of the common themes amongst intelligent fanatics. The goal for this episode is to learn more about Sean's latest work dissecting and analyzing intelligent fanatics, as well as the importance of mentors and compounding your network. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 58 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Sean Iddings, but first, a word from our sponsor. To my loyal listeners, subscribers, and fans, Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap Podcast. The 2018 Investor Conference season is upon us. Where are you going this year? I'd like to take a second to invite you to join me and some of the guests you may have heard on this podcast to our annual Microcap Investor Conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 24 to 26, 2018 at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. The Planet Microcap Showcase will be two and a half days of company presentations, networking opportunities, an educational workshop, and you get to meet privately in one-on-one meetings with management of well-known public and private microcap companies. We are back with new surprises and programming that you will not want to miss. So join us for the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 24 to 26, 2018 at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information and register to attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. For this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I have Sean Iddings on the program. He is the co-author of the book, Intelligent Fanatics, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. Sean, welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Bobby, thanks for having me again. It's great to have you back as always, and uh, congratulations on another great book. I I really did enjoy reading it. Thanks for reading it, Bobby. Of course. So (laughs) let's start off with with your background. Uh, You know, for those who missed our first interview from the first edition, you know, let's get your background, and also how did you get started investing in microcap stocks? Here's a Cliff Notes version. So I started off as a musician about 10 years ago old. I still am now, but totally do not focus on it as much as I used to. 
I made my way up to attending Berklee College of Music in Boston, where I studied jazz guitar and also majored in music therapy, but I figured out that was my life pursuit. And so I decided to focus my time on something more fruitful, which I thought was investing in a business. And I've been doing working at that for quite a while now. Got into microcap investing probably four or five years ago or so. Uh, got connected with Ian Castle with Microcap Club. I've been a member there for about the same time. And from there, uh, partnered up with Ian on Intelligent Fanatics, and we're about here right now. Nice. Well, I, I, I mean, I was going to say the Cliff Notes version. I, I think you're only a couple years older than me. You know, uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a lot. We have a lot more to add there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yep. I'm. I feel feels like I've had five five lives. So I, <laughs> jazz musician, lived in South Korea for a couple years, did this, that, and another thing. But here I am now. Yeah, it's, life's wonderful, isn't it, Bobby? Oh yeah. Wait. So have you always have you always had an interest in writing though? I mean, because you know to. To go through all that, and then now you you know you you've written two books. You know, I mean, uh, has no, that always I, been there? I I hate writing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hate hated it when I was younger. No, I, I I've grown to enjoy it. It helps with you know preparing and thinking through thoughts. It's it's like I said, it's it's an acquired taste for sure. for at least for me. Sure. Well, you know, when you're passionate about something, it's uh, you know, I feel like there's there's nothing stopping you from just writing all your exactly. thoughts down and, and getting yeah, exactly. Yes. So uh, also, you know, for those who missed our first interview as well, you know, uh, we we covered and defined uh, the theme of that one was really the the groundwork for what an intelligent fanatic is. You know, so again, for those who missed that one, you know, what exactly is an intelligent fanatic? Well, Charlie Munger once said occasionally. You'll find a human being that is so talented that he or she can do things that ordinary skilled mortals can't. Of course, he called these people intelligent fanatics. And we, we see in the business context that is an individual, individual who has an uncanny ability to start a business or organization from scratch or turn around a laggard and build it into a market leader that dominates for decades. And they also create a or high-performance organization whose culture can quickly adapt to change. And so if you see that's more of the business, but if you go back to Charlie Munger's definition, we step back, you start to see intelligent fanatics are everywhere. They're in different fields. So we have leaders of human organizations such as, say, like professional football. Uh, and then you have your, your namesake, Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, and who he's brought in, Bill Belichick, who has dominated uh, professional football for you know, nearly two decades, which is phenomenal. No, nobody's done what he's done. Uh, then you have other ones, like Bill Walsh, and then you have military leaders who've done extremely well throughout history. They just consistently do well. Then you have musicians who's also achieved elite results over many decades and craftsmen, artists, you name it. So anybody who's really been able to consistently put up elite results for decades, mm -hmm. we call them intelligent fanatics. So that's a business perspective and also a bird's eye view of what an intelligent fanatic is. Mm -hmm. So just to, to follow up on that real quick, would you? Yep. is it possible – to be an intelligent fanatic and not have operational success? 
or is that kind of like the how you really find an intelligent fanatic because there's that groundwork of oh these are all the things they achieve so clearly at thus intelligent fanatic or is that is that not how it works in your opinion so so bobby i think the thing that we like to do is we like to look at history because history shows us the starting point the middle the end and we can see the path you know somebody has taken and then see if there can deduce whether luck was much greater part or much smaller part of somebody's success. However, if you look at somebody who's been able to dominate or put up results, really good results for many, 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 many years, there's a less less of a chance that luck or one singular market event that benefited them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we we see it. So it's so right now a lot of people will say like, oh, who's an intelligent fanatic? Now it's a little hard to tell in the you know current time, but we like to learn from the past to help us see mm-hmm. in currently and in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the the main reason I ask also that is and is and we'll get into the some more specifics from the book yep. in, in, in a bit but you know one one theme i i see that i've seen throughout you know both the first book and also with this one is you know you tend to highlight uh individuals who uh went into one or two areas it it was either they created a new market yep or they went into a traditionally boring you know, there is a way in which things were done for a long time. And then they, but, and it's not that they were doing something necessarily different business-wise, but operationally they were way more efficient. You know, is that a, is that a, is that a good way of, of, of categorizing it? Yeah. Yep. So it's generally, generally these guys come in and it could be a gal because there's Mm -hmm. been female intelligent fanatics as well. They come in and they do something different. And generally, there's a big wave that they're either the first ones to start it or they're ones who can ride it for a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. But again, there are those uh, special characters who are able, like I said, to turn around a laggard in terms of a business that's kind of boring mm-hmm. and get some extremely good results out of it. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the second book in uh, the Intelligent Fanatics series. You know, why did you and Ian decide to write this one? Well, it's a good question, Bobby, because we, we, Ian and I have continually asked ourselves one question, and it's, and I'll, I'll ask it to you. So I'll say, wouldn't you two like to play the game of business and investing as well as a virtuoso musician? And that that is to possess the ability to keep up with the fast tempo of business and adapt to the changing harmony or moving landscape and make it look effortless. Wouldn't you like to do that? I mean, you had me, you had me at uh, (laughs) business and investing. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we, we all want, you know, we want to get elite results, right? We all want to have, you know, phenomenal records and all that type of stuff, but it's, that's one thing to look at somebody else's record and, you know, appreciate it. But how do how do we get there? How how do we, you know, prepare ourselves to achieve something like that? So we started to look at how intelligent fanatics, you know, you, how they prepared themselves. Mm-hmm. And for me, not surprisingly, I, I've noticed this with musicians and especially jazz musicians, how they prepare themselves to 
these great results. And it takes a lot of effort and discipline. And so we notice there's this uh, mentor-apprentice model that intelligent fanatics have, but also musicians. And it, it's just common with a lot of people, whether it's a direct apprenticeship or an indirect one. So we, we've highlighted that as our theme. So standing on the shoulder of giants is something that intelligent fanatics do. And that's what Ian and I are trying to do ourselves, but also help other people stand on top of uh, uh, intelligent fanatic shoulders to see farther. Mm -hmm. That idea of uh, compounding your network, so to speak, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one big part of it. Cause Jim Ron said, we are the, you know, the sum of the five people we spend the most time with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're rubbing shoulders with the eminent dead, who have achieved extremely good results and others who are achieving great results in the past and still today, you know, it should rub off on you. Mm -hmm. So, so then what would you say is like the big difference between this new, uh, this new book and the first intelligent fanatics book? And so in addition to a lot of that preparation that I was talking about, how intelligent fanatics got to where they got, we look at, nine more case studies and we look at each leader's story and identify more of the characteristics that made their organization and themselves as a leader special but through feedback of the first book and through personal reflection and i decided that it's really good to have a contrasting example with each one so we can see how you know get a better picture of how special these leaders and organizations were or are and this is more of a holistic approach and like i said should help people see you know these guys these leaders were extremely good at what they did and we can kind of pick the good things that they did and try to internalize them to you know be able to see them in other leaders today, or just utilize them for our own, our own personal gain. Mm -hmm. Also, Sean, since, since our last interview, you and Ian have turned IntelligentFanatics.com into a hub for information covering the subject, as well as launched a subscription service. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Of course, Bobby. So Ian and I found that there's a lot of information that we go through to make these case studies that are extremely worthwhile in, in internalizing. And so we had been putting them in our Dropbox folder and we decided, hey, why don't we put them out there in the public and help, you know, just shine a light on all of this wisdom, which should be internalized by investors, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And so we built the site to store that wisdom. And from there, we built a community around studying studying and internalizing greatness. And so members have access to our community and exclusive members form. And there they can collaborate and learn from each other. And it's actually really interesting to see the members that we're, we're bringing in. We have some operators, we have really good investors, and many others who are you know, seeking wisdom. And we're also giving members a uh, copies of our book as ebooks and the one thing i think is really special that we're doing is we're giving exclusive case studies from now on we have a couple we've done and i can give you give you uh, one example there's one that we just recently released <clears throat> on ernest henderson he's the co-founder of sheraton i'm 
sure most people haven't heard his story before. Just amazing to hear him and his buddy, Bob Moore, going from flipping uh, rebuilt Fords that they built in Harvard's dormitory yard, and they made a pretty nice profit doing that, to foreign exchange that they got into. And then from there, they went into importing German war surplus goods to uh, picking up real estate and public investment trusts, you know, pennies on the dollar during the Great Depression. And then turning that was sort of like a open-ended mutual fund and buying up uh, one hotel, turning it into the most profitable hotel in the U.S., during the depression and then from there building that into the Sheraton hotel chain, it's just amazing story. And the great thing is, um, Mitzi Perdue, the daughter of Ernest Henderson, she contacted us and helped us, you know, wrote a huge portion of the case study. So many, many, wow. many, uh, awesome little stories about her dad. Uh, she gave to us and That's it's just amazing. So cool. Yeah. And so we see all these things, and we can learn all of these, uh, you know, how he thought about innovation, how he thought about uh, business and family, how he thought about, you know, many things and why he did what he did. So it's stuff like that that we're trying to put out as in case studies uh, ongoing and that's exclusive for members. So that's what we're trying to do with IntelligentFanatics.com. So build, build up a huge community of like-minded people and just really figure out how to internalize all of this great wealth of information that's out there that, you know, is just laying there for us to take. I mean, how rewarding is that? That's so cool. I know. Oh my gosh. Wow. And I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I may have asked this on the first interview, but I mean, you know, how, how do you find intelligent fanatics? I mean, do you just go through the fortune 50 or fortune 100 list and, Say you know oh yeah okay is this you know like how do you how do you go about uh, sourcing your your material? Well, we, we we keep an eye out for anything. One thing that I particularly like to do, Ian he he reads a, a bunch of books from any you know historically really good operator, mm-hmm. and he I don't know if really how he does it, but he's he's awesome at finding uh, lots of lots of good intelligent fanatics stuff and content for me i like to go like in old newspapers Mm. and and, like dig there and dig in old stuff and i find lots of wonderful information you know and it's but it's kind of hard to find that kind of stuff it Mm. takes a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but there's there's a lot of good examples that we found say from like the fortune um, best employers but that's you know current we're we're looking for more the the historical examples mm-hmm. to to learn from, and that takes a lot of interesting methods to figure out. And sometimes it's you go down a rabbit tro- a rabbit hole, and you find lots of things that you never thought you were looking for. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, ov- over time, we're gonna try to build up our community and have that help act as mm-hmm. a generation of you know who to study. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting too when. Uh, you know, going through a few of the chapters in the in the new book and as well as in the old book as well. You know, you see, you know, you have the intelligent fanatic in place, and then they hand off the business to someone else, and you can really and you can really see how really the 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 contrast in in styles. You know, when 
you know, when the Intelligent Fanatic was in place and, and really running the business and, and turning into something amazing. And then they retired or, or died or something. And, you know, they handed off to their next, uh, to, to the uh, person taking over for them. And they're not, it wasn't the best, uh, you know, a talent hire or, you know, then they have issues in picking the right talent to have around them, you know. So it's actually, it's interesting throughout the book, you, you get a sense of, you know, how, how special these people really are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's one thing. There are some instances, there's a lot of them actually, that go through exactly what you talked about. But there's the few that actually build up their team so well that once they're gone, it still does well. So take, mm-hmm. for instance, one from the recent book, Peter Kiewit with Kiewit Corporation. And once he was gone in the 70s, you know, uh, Walter Scott, the friend of Warren Buffett, he took over and he's done phenomenally well Mm -hmm. and they have another leader in there now but there are cases so there are things to learn from the ones who do get it and then the ones who don't get that baton passing off correctly Mm -hmm. so that's a good good observation bobby yeah no it actually reminds me also of uh even in in chapter two uh with uh clessy cummins and and the uh irwin family and how you know they, you know, it was the, I think it was his, the, the Irwin, it was his nephew that ended yep. up taking over, you yep. know, and you could just see that, you know, because he was surrounded by such great mentors, he was able to easily just transition and continue that corporate culture, which was way ahead of its time. I mean, how amazing they didn't sell any, any trucks or diesel engines to South Africa because the apartheid was still going. I mean, like, exactly. It's amazing <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, actually, we're we're already getting ahead of ourselves in in terms of my my line of questioning here, you know, because I, I do want to get into uh, into the novel a little bit as we've already have, uh, but not give too much away, you know. Yeah. Um. But but there was this one line uh, towards the beginning where you, you it's in there. It says, uh, and I quote, that uh, we're we're searching for and emulating those who are already giants in their chosen field is the shortest path to attaining success, end quote. You know, what What would you say then is the difference between being able to recognize talent and being lucky? That's a good question, Bobby. So in every case of success, any case, luck is a large component. And I think any of the fanatics, a lot of them did state this specifically that luck was extremely important. I have a really good friend who's an extremely good business operator, and he told me this. He said, business success is 65% luck, 28% courage, and 7% skill in the short term. And like I said, this is more over the short term. So luck is a huge component. But I think over time, luck is less important. Skill grows from 7%, say, more than 50% over, say, a decade. And since art history already provides us with examples of what did happen, we can see, you know, the one-hit wonders. We can see who those who are just merely lucky. And we can from there, we can kind of weed out the ones who are more the consistent winners and try to emulate the best of those. Mm-hmm. And from there, with proper effort, discipline, and internalization, we can increase our own odds of being luckier. So I think that's the main thing. The main theme, say, would be this. 
tons of preparation, effort, and discipline, the right, I should say, the right effort, discipline, will help you increase the odds of being luckier. And then over time, if you have the right skill, that should help you maintain success. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, I, I, I also thought, you know, in, in reading in that chapter and, and also, you know, throughout the book, you know, it, it also seems that, you know, luck plays such a factor in just the being able to find the network that, you know, ends up helping you become who you are. You know, I was listening to a Exactly. You know, like I, I was listening to this podcast uh, called uh, How I Built This. I'm, I'm sure you, you know it. Yep. And the most recent episode about uh, LearnVest and uh, with, I, th- I, th- I believe her name is, um, I, I don't want to, re- I don't want to, uh, uh, I'm blanking <laughs> on it, but, but sh- uh, I think it's Alexa actually, um, Von Tropel, that's it. And, and, okay. sh- and, and she was making mention about how, you know, when it came to networking, she was, she hustled her tail off. You know, she took meetings with everybody. You know, she was all about building that network, building that network. And that, and, and, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily that she was, you know, fell into, you know, her lap, you know, some of the best mentors, you know, of her, of her time, but she really, she really hustled to get it. Would you say that, you know, nowadays it's a lot easier than to, to make that network for yourself. And maybe, you know, historically, some of these guys, you know, it just, a, a lot of luck just kind of played into it, no? Yeah, I think, well, I can speak from, not experience, but I studied it and kind of internalized it a bit more with music. Take, mm-hmm. for instance, say jazz. Mm-hmm. Everything was based around your locality. So the quote-unquote jazz cats, so the guys who did really well in jazz, say in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, they just lived in a particular city or near one where they were surrounded by these wonderful players. Mm-hmm. And they they had access to these direct mentorships. And then from there, they were able to, you know, work together to achieve something, you know, and continue to better themselves and learn from these giants, say. Mm-hmm. So I think historically that was networking would have been much more difficult or luck played a much bigger part. But now, say with the internet, it's a bit easier to connect with people who are not directly near you. Right. Well, it's more localized, you know. Correct. Correct. But, uh, you know, with the internet now, it really, you know, actually, without the internet, I don't know if me and you would have met. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. So there's, I think it's a a bit easier, but then again, it's how how do we properly utilize our our network or our mentors to fully achieve our, you know, our potential. Right. So, so another um, idea that came up uh, in, in, in the book as well is, uh, is this idea of stick to You know, I, 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 really, I really liked that phrase. I, just, I, thought, yep. that was, I thought that was a, a very interesting point that, you know, a lot of intelligent fanatics, you know, they really feel this passion. And, you know, whether or not they're in an industry that, you know, they see growing year over year. But, be, but they see that how they are, are doing it or operating their business, you know, will be different and eventually lead to greater success. You know, it, it ends up they, that stick to paid off, you know, but at what point do you think that that it runs its course? 
Good question, Bobby. So going back to that one little equation that I gave to you from one of my friends. Mm -hmm. So I said 28% was courage, right? Mm -hmm. I think that stick-to-itiveness, that's courage, right? Do you have the courage to stick to something? You know, luck might not be on your side to begin with, but over time, if you stick to your process, you should be able to do well, right? Mm -hmm. So I think personally... And, you know, I'm not that old, and, but I've tried to learn as much as I can from other people and leverage their experience. I think it comes down to trajectory. What I mean by this is I don't think it really runs its course. So if, you, if you're on the right track, then it, you keep up with the process. Eventually, it'll work out. But if you're on the wrong course... No matter how much courage, how much stick that you have, you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve. And I think we all have this untapped potential in whatever field, interest, you know, I think it's different with everybody. And I think a lot of people die without their music being played. And it might be in some obscure industry or hobby or whatever that you you might have a potential for. And so for, for me, I thought when I was younger that my music being played would actually be playing music. And I figured out that, you know, naturally I do, don't have really a knack for, say, rhythm. There's a lot of other things musically that, you know, it's difficult for me. So I'd have to work 50 times harder than somebody else to achieve what I want to achieve. And so I put in lots and lots and lots of hours, but I just figured out, you know, I'm on the wrong track. And it doesn't matter how much courage, stick to that I have. You know, it's a really difficult industry. Music's, you know, it's hard for people to make money in music and, you know, get their art out there. It's just difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, you know, the opportunity of cost for me and my, reaching my potential is in somewhere else. So I think for people, it doesn't really run its course. It's just a matter of being on the right trajectory. Right. I went into investing in business. I figured that also probably attunes more to my natural ability, but also my full potential. Mm-hmm. And I've worked really hard. So I, I feel that's the better place for me. Right. So yeah, there's because there's two aspects to it, you know. There's the there's the indiv- there's your individual sticktuitiveness where it really comes down to your own self awareness and understanding, yep. you know. Okay, yep. am I on the right path? You know, a- asking those crucial questions to make sure you know you're 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 trying to establish the highest quality of life you can for yourself. But then there's then there's from an investor perspective, and that really has to do with you know being able to observe management. And seeing like, okay, they have the courage, they have the stick-to-itiveness. I guess from the investor standpoint, you know, how would you address that? You know, like, you know, what, what, what are the things you would look out for in an intelligent fanatic versus not, you know, and, and whether or not they're really, uh, their stick-to-itiveness or their courage is, in that sense, run its course. You know, you see what I'm saying? So I, I would say for me, and I think it comes to how would I feel you know, how much stick-to-itiveness do I have for somebody else to run a business? I think there's there's a lot of moving parts to that. But again, I think it kind of goes back to, is that person in the right 
industry that they're operating in. And if, if they're showing performance-wise that they can't say what they say they're going to do, then you're in the wrong investment. And they're probably in the wrong operating field. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it com- comes to, you know, can somebody actually, you know, back up what they're actually saying they're going to do, mm-hmm. at least from the investor st- standpoint, and whether you can stick with, with somebody else. Right. Right. So then, you know, would you say that most, if not all, intelligent fanatics are also world class improvisers? You know, why is the, is this uh, so important? And there is there such a thing as too much improvisation to the point that you deviate too far from your original objective? So, I, Bobby, that's exactly it. So, intelligent fanatics act like world class improvisers. And I'll tell you why. So they prepare so well that when the present moment is rhyming with what happened in the past, they have a premonition. Their subconscious already knows possible outcomes, and they consistently make wise decisions. And then, again, coming from the jazz background that I have, jazz improvisers, they're prepared so well and so attuned to the current moment that when the song, you know, harmony changes, the song changes, they play the right notes. It doesn't take subconscious thought. They just know it. They play it because they've internalized it so well to just let it let it go out. But I don't think there really is a time when there's too much improvisation, and I'll tell you why. So improvisation in its very nature is being, like I said, attuned to that moment so well that you can make the correct adjustments and decisions, even when, you know, say like a left ball, you know, or uh, a ball from left field comes out. So the only time where I see a problem is when there's too much preparation and no action, or preparation without being attuned to the moment is a similar situation. So that way you you'll be deviating or totally missing your objective or any opportunities coming your way. And I think there's a really 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 good example. You'll love this, Bobby. So there's a jazz pianist. His name's Herbie Hancock, one and he fa- played one of my favorites of all time. Yep, awesome. So have you ever heard of Miles Davis? He's a jazz of trumpeter. Of course. Well, there's a really good example that Herbie gave of him playing with Miles and how Miles improvised in one moment so herbie said he was you know accompanying uh miles while he was playing a a solo and then about in the middle of the solo everything was cooking and he plays a wrong chord and that's like the worst thing to do you know Mm -hmm. you're a good good pianist you're accompanying a soloist you play the wrong chord you know and you have this jazz legend looking at you like what the hell are you doing but no so Herbie Hancock, he put his hands over his ears. He said, God, you know, in that moment. He thought he made the worst mistake ever. But no, Miles Davis looked right at him, and then he played notes that made that chord, what Herbie Hancock played, correct, what made it sound right. And that's, I think, the perfect example. Miles Davis was so attuned to that moment that Anything 
any event that came about, he was totally prepared to make the right notes or make the correct decision. Mm-hmm. And it just happened. So I think that's a great analogy. So can we be too improvisational? I don't think so. If you're attuned to the moment, then you're ready for anything that's going to be coming, throwing at your way. So I think that's where you have to be ready for the moment, in the moment, but be so prepared that you're ready to seize it, mold it, and master it. Mm-hmm. Now that I mean, what's it's 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 kind of interesting, you know? It's like um, it's it, the idea of improvisation and the the theme that we were just talking about before, the stick to itiveness. You know, it's they at the same time collide with each other, yep. but but also it takes having that that courage and that stick to itiveness yep. in order to improvise. You know, because yeah. you, oh, it's you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's Bobby, I've played with classical <laughs> cu- classical musicians before. And I don't know if you're familiar or any of your audience members are familiar, but the classical musician, you put a sh- piece of sheet music in front of them and they will play exactly what is written. If you put something else in front of them or try to, you know, jam with them, so play around with a couple chords, improvise with them, it's like pulling teeth Mm -hmm. they can't do it Mm -hmm. and they're just not trained that way but it takes so much work so much preparation but so much courage to be in the moment it's so difficult to do but it's possible Mm -hmm. but it's it just shows you difference between ways people learn or are taught can be a huge amount of can take a huge amount of impact on you know the outcome, but it's it's a good point that you made, Bobby. Mm-hmm. And, and Sean, you know another another topic that I wanted to bring up that I've I've actually brought up on the podcast before, but I was just curious as to your perspective on this because it's something that shows up a lot in uh, this book, in, in in this Intelligent Fanatics book, and and the first one, and that's the idea of uh, diversification. You know what what does that mean to you and 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 why does this why why is this a bad thing? So of course I'm sure many of your listeners know Peter Lynch developed the term, and of course it means diversifying away from your core competence. And many companies, of course, once they've reached maturity, they want to grow through acquisitions. And I I don't think that's the the best way method of growing. Internal uh, growth is much better because there's less of a chance of wanting to acquire and then thus diversify but it's just bad because you're getting out of your wheelhouse and you're losing focus and i think that's the key thing if you want to do really well with an organization or business you just got to stick to what you know and keep working really hard because just attaining a surface level of ability in one area takes a lot of work but to attain an elite level in a specific area, it just takes that takes a lifetime. So anytime that you're you know, putting your mind somewhere else, you're just setting your up for yourself up for destruction. Mm-hmm. And then, and and then, why why do you think intelligent fanatics tend to, and I quote, focus on the process and not the prize? End quote. So it's naturally humans want instant gratification, 
and I think over time, the really good leaders or anybody, any intelligent fanatic, despite you know business or whatever field that they're in, they they know that it's the process mentality that just plain old works. And it's when when you do uh, what everybody else does, don't be surprised with what you get. And they they understand that. It doesn't matter if you're planting rice or raising a child or building an organization. <laughs> it takes time, effort, and good process to come out with a good result. You know, it's all about that. What What's the input that you put in? It takes, you know, it takes a lot of input to get some kind of output. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my general thoughts on, on that. Mm-hmm. I think Iris agrees in the background there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, so, so uh, Iris happens to be Sean's uh, uh, 15 month month old daughter. Yep, that's yes. that's correct. That is correct. <laughs> so, so Sean, you know what? What is the the primary message you'd like my audience to take away from from your book? Well, I think many of your audience members are investors, and they might ask, why on earth? What I want to study great business leaders. Well, as Charlie Munger said, the best way to get a good partner is to be a good partner yourself. And I think Ian would agree with me on our modification of that quote. And that would be, the best way to get an intelligent fanatic is to become an intelligent fanatic yourself. So for investors to get elite results, we must become fanatics in our own right. And I think that's why Ian and I really like that theme of standing on the shoulder of giants. It shows us how they did it. And like I said, it's a similar theme that's seen in any intelligent fanatic in any field or industry. And then from from there, we'll, we'll have a better preparation of finding these guys and then being ready to invest with them. So you know, I so I, I'm expecting the there to be a next version and the cover to be red, and it's the ones it's the anti-intelligent fanatics book in the series. I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Bobby, I, I can just tell you, uh, and one thing that I wrote up on our website for premium members is a little case on one anti-fanatic from the ni- early 1900s. It's a fascinating story. He's a horrible leader. He had he did exactly everything that you know a true f- fanatic would have done, you know, and, and the outcome was totally, uh, you know, you could have could have seen it coming from a mile away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say I, that that would be an interesting read to see people who have all those characteristics of an intelligent fanatic, but just had the worst luck, you know, like yeah. just you know, because that I'm sure only- that exists. I'm sure there there are some cases, but I think uh, what we we try to do, and again, kind of going back to that music analogy, is you know if if you're playing the drums, would you want to know all the times that you're not supposed to play? You, you know, hit hit the drum or all the notes that you're not supposed to play and internalize them. So it's you know it, we're we're just trying to figure out the best usage of our time, and I think internalizing the great successes, even a lot of the ones that are totally unfamiliar and unknown, is a very valuable use of time 
Right. Don't worry. I'm getting plenty of the 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 negative stories in my in, in business school. The, the, we, we, that's where we <laughs> see go. the case studies. <laughs> there, there you go. So we're supplementing with the good ones, right? Exactly. So uh, so Sean, where can where can my audience go and find more information about you, and can also go and buy the book? Well, you can go to intelligentfanatics.com. Now, of course, we have a gold mine of free information there on our on our forums. Uh, as well as links to our book. Uh, if you become a member, you get the, both books free. You also get all the case studies that we've done, plus all the ones that we're, we're going to write. And there's many really good ones that we're working on. Uh, and then you can also follow me on Twitter at Iddings underscore Sean, or if you just type in Intelligent Fanatics in uh, the search thing, you'll you'll find me. Or follow Ian at Ian Castle. And he, runs, he also runs uh, Microcap Club, which is a fabulous group of people and i know you talk about them quite often and also have many members from microcap club on but yeah that's how you can get a hold of us but cool and that's and that's uh intelligentfanatics.com and uh, microcapclub.com so so sean i want to thank you and iris for joining me today (laughs) and uh (laughs) i want to wish you a very happy holidays and and new year and uh you know, uh, again, thank you for joining me. You as well, Bobby, and thank you again for having me on. All right. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Sean, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and I'd like to wish you all a very happy and healthy new year and prosperous 2018.